Pastor Xavier Reese and God's promotion program. David keeps going up because promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from who? The Lord. You don't have to strive. One of the things that you need to understand that as long as you're following the Lord, the Lord is going to take care of you. You don't have to strive for anything. You just rest in the Lord, obey Him, do what He's called you to do, flow with the gifts He's given you, serve Him out of love. God will take care of you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Any book, besides having a beginning and an end, is filled with many chapters. Today, Pastor Xavier opens up a chapter in the life of the up-and-coming King of Israel. It's here where we learn about the incredible penmanship of God as he writes the stories of his children. Here's Pastor Xavier with another lesson from a Simple Truths Character Study series, David Part 2. Let's listen. David was declared to be a man after God's own heart by God himself when Samuel told Saul that he had been rejected by God and that God had found another man, a man after his own heart. Now this phrase is viewed from the knowledge of God and it has baffled many as they try to understand the statement while observing the life of David, who both committed adultery and murder and many other things. But I'm equally baffled by the statement that God says about Lot. He calls him righteous. <laughs> and I'm glad when God declares someone to be righteous and when God declares someone to be a man after his own heart, that he does it based on having and knowing all the facts from beginning to end. I don't have those facts, so I rest in God. And I try to learn what I can from the individual in as far as the scriptures reveal what is positive to learn, to emulate. And then I also try to learn the negative things that really lead me away from what pleases God. And I leave the rest in God's hands. So I hope that David doesn't blow you away <laughs> I hope he's an exhortation it, it, it does bum me out because he's such a great man and you know you always hate to see a, a hero go down but again it reminds you that all men have feet of clay right it's a constant reminder in the scriptures very very uh, vivid God allows that to see it over and over again in our first study we looked at David the man from three perspectives we saw the shepherd tender we saw the minstrel player and armor bearer. And then we saw the giant slayer. Now we want to study David, the man in exile, and begin by looking at the events that led to David's exile, which reveal three things. First of all, God provided David with a loyal friend, Jonathan. That's the first thing that it reveals, these events. God provided a loyal friend, Jonathan. Secondly, God protected David from his enemy, Saul. And then thirdly, God proclaimed the exile of David through his friend, Jonathan. So these are the three things that we want to look at regarding David, the man in exile. Let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 18. God provided David... With a loyal friend. Notice first 
in verses 1 through 4, David and Jonathan became the best of friends. It says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house any longer. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off his robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. The event took place after David had killed Goliath and he had spoken to Saul, Jonathan's father. The soul of Jonathan was knit bound to the soul of David. Their mind, their emotions, their wills were committed to loyal friendship. If you've ever been fortunate enough, even before Christ, to have one or two friends, and that's usually probably all you have that are true friends without Christ, <laughs> then you know what he's talking about here. How much more in Christ when you find true friends? Those that stand behind you, those that confront you, those that are faithful, those that are loyal, those that don't gossip behind your back, those that stand up for you. For there to be one as there has to be two people. You can't be one with yourself. <laughs> the word soul speaks of the emotion, the intellect, and the will. They're committed together, they're bound together. It happens often as people go through high school or they're growing up and you find a friend that, you know, you just do everything the same. You, you kind of think together and, you know, and sometimes you see it on girls, you know, they dress the same, this and that. You know, and they go through phases. It may last two, three years, but, you know, they go through it. Here now, this relationship is brought about by God with these two godly men. And notice they have a lot of things in common. They're both like to be good soldiers. <laughs> and Jonathan must have been looking at David and just looking at what happened with the giant slayer and, and his heart was bound with him. He said, yeah, that's, you know, remember him and his armor bearer. They went up to the Philistine garrison there and said, hey, maybe God wanted to deliver the whole batch to us too. Who cares? Jonathan said, hey, he's just like me. And Jonathan admired David. The implication is that their total being and person was in oneness. That doesn't mean they agreed on everything. It doesn't mean that they were sinless or perfect. But there was a wholehearted commitment. Isn't that what happens in marriage? Certainly we have differences. Certainly we don't agree all the time. But, but we're committed in oneness and, and, and nothing separates us. Everything else is trivial when it comes to separating that oneness. Now notice that the focus is on Jonathan. He loved David as his own soul. It would not be as advantageous for the king's son to love David. Yet God was preparing his friendship for this purpose. And for the purposes of God. It would have been more advantageous to David to love Jonathan. At this point, the king's son, right? And yet Jonathan is the focus. He's the initiator to an extent here. He's the one that's the king's son, but he's admiring the shepherd boy. That's one of the key marks of true greatness. When someone who is in a position of authority and greatness or influence can condescend and, and admire and, and fellowship or, or even seek after based on character and not based on social status or money or anything else. Now notice in verse 2 that David resided with Saul from that day on, no longer returning to his father's house. And apparently before, remember, he went back and forth, came and played the harp. Uh, now, th this made for a closer relationship and friendship by spending more time together. 
and to learn about each other's character. Because the only way you can know somebody is to spend time with them, right? Uh, sometimes people come in for counseling, for premarital counseling. They say, well, how long do you know each other? Oh, we know each other two weeks. Oh, really? Oh, great. You love each other, huh? Now, there, it happens sometimes, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's rare, but it does happen. So I'm not excluding it completely. But to know somebody, you've got to spend time with them. You, you've got to spend time enough so you can see them through difficult times and see how they react, how they respond. You know, they can hang a rope across a valley between two mountains. And they can look thick and strong. And, and, but who would dare swing across it unless you first was tried and put heavy weights on it, swing and make sure it's going to hold you. And yet we jump into relationships without trying those relationships, without proving them. And that's why so often there's a lot of dissolution in marriage because, you know, they get married and you say, well, you, you, you know, you deceived me. You're not who you said you were. And, you know, and then the classic, well, you didn't ask. <laughs> what? I didn't ask? And that's only because we're so dishonest today. We're always looking for the other person to be what we want them to be. But we never consider that we are to be preparing ourselves to be the person they want us to be. It's always one-sided, right? The guy wants to make sure the girl's beautiful and she's this and she's that and everything else. And the guy's a jerk. He's not thinking what she wants and what she should get, right? Or vice versa. It's a two-way street. It begins with friendships. Husband and wife should be the greatest of friends. Always friends. Sadly, that's not the case too often. Even in the church. You do it by spending time together. Husbands, you spend time with your wives. Wives, with your husbands. Parents, how about with children? Parents, do you know your children? Your children know you. You know that old cliche, well, you know, we're into quality, not quantity. It's a bunch of junk. You cannot have quality without quantity. <laughs> It's impossible. Sounds good, but doesn't hold any water. We have to spend time with each other. I've known some of you for 17 years, if not more. We've been around for a while together. <laughs> We've been through good times, bad times. The miracle is we're still hanging out. I guess we're friends. That's good. Notice in verse 3 and 4 that... Um, David entered into a covenant with Jonathan. The motive was Jonathan's love for David. Notice that. The evidence was that Jonathan stripped himself for David in verse 4. By taking off his robe, indicative of his position. By taking off his armor, indicative of his service. And by taking off his sword, bow and belt, indicative of his submission and commitment to David. Now remember that only Saul and Jonathan had weapons due to the fact that there was no blacksmith except for the Philistines' camp in First uh, Samuel 13, 21 and 22. This makes it more meaningful. You know, you've got all kinds of swords around, and you know, you, here, take one. And the other person, oh, you, thank you, really, thank you, and they really appreciate it, but for you it's nothing because you have ten of them. But when these are the only things you have and you give it to somebody, that's the evidence of love. That's not just words. Some people are very benevolent, but they're benevolent because they have a lot. Now, I don't want to take anything away from it. If the heart's in the right place, it's meaningful. But when something is given, when that's all they have or the little they have, then it magnifies the gift. 
Remember the Macedonians? Paul used them as an example. He says, you know, out of their deep poverty, they gave first themselves and then they pleaded us to take money. <laughs> and he says, shame on you, Corinthians. I've been after you for a year. <laughs> Incredible. Now notice, secondly, verse 5 through 9. David became the envy of Saul. David went out wherever Saul sent him, behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also the sight of Saul's servants. And so it happened as they were coming home that David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines and that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and with tambourines, with joy and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Uh-oh. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have described to David, or ascribed to David tens thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul I David from that day forward. Notice that David went out in obedience to Saul's charge and behaved himself wisely. David was doing nothing to steal or to rob or to do anything. Yet he knew he had been anointed king. Remember that, okay? David was made field marshal by Saul. In verse 5 there. Accepted by all. And then David became the object of adoration by the people. And as the women sang of David being the greater warrior than Saul, this didn't go well with him. But David was completely unaware of Saul's Reaction towards him in verse 8 and 9. Saul was very angry. Saul was displeased at the same. As a matter of fact, Saul pouted and said, What more can he have but the kingdom? And so he eyed him from that day on with suspicion. It is an interesting thing when that sinful reaction comes envy or jealousy. It throws us out of everything out of equilibrium, right? I mean, everything's cool, and all of a sudden, somebody says something that does something, and go, <gasps> and everything that was good is just, boy, upside down. We freak out. It throws us out of control. All of a sudden, we want to grab for some security. We want to, you know, start looking for reason. We start getting weird. Remember that Saul also knew that God had rejected him. That's another problem. So he starts striving to hang on to something that's not his any longer. This happens in relationships a lot of times. You know, the girl says, I don't want any more with you. Or the guy says that. And the other person doesn't give up. And they start seeing somebody else. Like, oh, you know, you know and then and they call them up and you tell them, give them a piece of their mind they can't afford to lose and everything else. And, and, and things get ugly, right? Now notice 30 verses 10 down to 30. And I'll just run you through it. We won't read it all. David becomes Saul's enemy now. Now he was just his buddy a while ago. He's the giant slayer. He's the one who's going out to war. He, he's the one who, who calms him by his playing the liar. He's the one that is a field marshal for his troops. And he has heard one phrase. David has killed his tens of thousands. That did it. Such love. One day a man was telling Alexander the Great, how much he loved him. He would do anything. He says, really? I want you to get two fishes, put them in your pockets. Then I want you to 
walk around for a whole week with them. Then I want you to come back and see me. Guy got all upset. He says, you want me to walk around with two fishes? You know how I'll smell? I mean, you ask me to go kill, ask me to do that. I'll do anything for you. He says, mm, such friendship ruined over two stinking fishes. How amazing. We're so fickle. David became the object of Saul's mad fits. In verses 10 and 11, as the distressing spirit came upon him and attempted to pin David to the wall with the spear twice. When you become a desperate person, you do desperate things that don't start making sense. When you become a person in bondage, you start doing things that are not logical. You start doing things that are dangerous, not calculated. In verses 12 through 16, David was then removed by Saul from his presence. And then placed as captain over his thousands without doubt, hoping that David might fall by the sword. But he behaved himself wisely. And all of Israel loved David for going out to fight the battles. But Saul was afraid of David because he knew that the Lord was with him and departed from him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I'm sure you have. You know, you, 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 want, you want this rat to get it. And, and, and instead of getting it, the guy comes out on top. It makes you even matter. This is Saul. But notice David behaved himself wisely. Now David knew what's going on. He's no dummy. But he behaved himself wisely. If you are called God and you are overseeing the ministry scripturally, if you're in ministry or in some sort of leadership, then you don't have to fear that another might take your position. For there will be checks and balances with integrity and the oversight of that ministry. You don't have to worry. If you're called and anointed of God and you envy another, then you need to repent and recognize they complement your ministry and they're not competing with your ministry. And if you do not rest in the Lord, then you will be overprotective, defensive, suspicious, and you will taint your message from the pulpit and from your leadership. Study Saul very carefully. Study David. Contrast him. Notice next, David was baited by Saul by offering his daughters in marriage. So it's one thing after another. He's, Saul is doing all kinds of things to see how he can get him. He's not out for his good. <laughs> he just wants to make it look appear like he's out for his good. Notice first in verse 17, Saul first offered Merab if David would only go out to fight the Lord's battles for Saul, hoping that he would fall at the hand of the Philistines. And so in verse 18, David thought himself unworthy of such privilege and honor. I mean, this is incredible of, of David. I mean, David says, who am I? And what is my life of my father's family in Israel? That I should be son-in-law to the king? I mean, he was blown away. And he knows Saul wants to kill him. Verse 19, Saul then gave Merab away to another to wife instead of to David when it came time. He wants to get him. He wants to hurt him. There are people who will try to get you and try to hurt you through life. What are you going to do? You're going to start throwing spears back? In verse 20 and 21, adding insult to injury, Saul found out that his other daughter, Michael, loved David. And it displeased Saul because he hates him and his daughters love him. But he offers her to David anyway, baiting him, hoping again that he might fall by the hands of the Philistines. Saul is so caught up 
with his own desire and vengeance that he does not care who he uses, who he hurts, who he destroys, even his own daughters. Much like a heroin addict who is possessed so much by the drug that he or she will stop at nothing to fulfill their desire. When you begin to take hold of your life and envy, jealousy, or the works of the flesh take hold of you, you become a slave. You are no longer in control. Remember? I hope you never forget. Because we were all slaves to the flesh before Christ. You are not the master. You become the slave. This can at times take place in the life of people in ministry who are obsessed with power and controlling authority. And they start acting like Saul's. Now notice in verse 22 through 27, Saul instructed his servant to let David know secretly that he did not want a dowry, but only 100 foreskins of the Philistines. So David did so, and he ended up marrying Michael. I mean, it's kind of a weird dowry anyway, but you know, his whole motive is that he might get killed. Notice that David, even at this point, did not think himself worthy of being the king's son-in-law. Once again in verse 23. Man, David is a man of character. Now he blows it later on in life, but he is a man of character. He's a young man. Saul is the old man. It's supposed to be the reverse, as example. One of the most grieving things that I find today is, is older men, they're a bunch of fools. They're not examples to younger men. Worse yet, older people who are in ministry or ministers that are not example to the Christian. <laughs> That's even worse. Notice that verse 28 to 30 says, As Saul knew by this, that the Lord was with David and was still more afraid of David and because David's enemy continually went after him, Saul. Yet David behaved himself, what? More wisely in the battles. And his name became Highly esteemed. You see, David keeps going up because what? Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from who? The Lord. Getting humble comes from who? The Lord. You don't have to strive. One of the things that you need to understand, that as long as you're following the Lord, the Lord is going to take care of you. You don't have to strive for anything. You just rest in the Lord, obey Him, do what He's called you to do, flow with the gifts He's given you, serve Him out of love, God will take care of you. So important. Enjoy your ministry. Enjoy being part of the church. When Sir Walter Raleigh spread his beautiful new cloak over the mud of Queen Elizabeth, that she might walk dry-shot, he had shrewdness enough to know that nothing is lost when it's given to royalty. Indeed, in a very true sense, it is impossible really to deny anyone self for our king. His return of the Lord is so swift his reward is so swift even as a king would be how much more do we do things out of a heart of sacrifice out of love Sir Walter Raleigh knew that he couldn't lose how much more us being friends to one another God provided David with a loyal friend Jonathan Pastor Xavier Reese with some inspirational simple truths for the importance of investing in a good friend. 
And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's much more to come of this character study right here next time as well. Now, if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, though, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. The title to ask for is simply David Part 2. It's available on CD for only $4. Once again, the title to ask for is David Part 2. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. What happens when you give up on the world and give in to God? Learn more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 